This is the Very Finnish Problems podcast with Joel Willems. Find us at facebook.com slash veryfinnishproblems. For links to some of the things we discuss on the show and to learn how you can get new episodes directly to your smartphone, please visit veryfinnishproblems.com. Yes, okay. I'll, I think we can start. Okay, here we are again. Very Finished Problems podcast number... Six. Number six. Say it loud and proud, Thomas. Number six. Many people didn't think we'd get here. But here we are. Very Finished Problems number six. Uh, me with your host, Joel Willens, uh, author of 101 Very Finished Problems, A Foreigner's Guide to Surviving in Finland. Currently... The number one best-selling non-fiction hmm. English oh. language book. It is. It is. It, is. Well, well, it has been. It enjoy, has been. Enjoyed well to last. Absolutely. And also up for a second print run. And today... Oh, congratulations. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Uh, I won't be buying that boat just yet, but... Uh, today we have a very special... Oh, we have Domus. Actually, yes. we have my co-host. And normally at this stage, I say Domus's name wrong. But today I'm going to get you to say Domus's name wrong. <laughs> uh, my co-host and producer of this fine show is... Thomas Nuberg. How was that? Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Far yes. better than I ever do. Yes, hello. I, I produce this thing. Yeah, he produced it. Does okay. ma- he well, does magic. How do you say it? I say Thomas. Well, I'd say it differently. I don't, I mean, for me, it's Thomas Newberg. Or to- actually, actually, it would be Thomas Thomas Nyberg. Well, it's, <laughs> it, 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 it's <laughs> Thomas Nuberg if, if you want to get yeah, like okay, close enough. So we've got a lot yeah. of var- this year. We've got this, this week. We've got a lot of variations. But more important than either I or Thomas Nuberg, regardless of how you say, <laughs> is our, 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 our special guest, very special guest this week, and also our first lady. So we've got our best class. <laughs> Ah, you got into number yeah, uh, uh, podcast number six without absolutely. any... Absolutely, that was not for a choice, that was just merely because you didn't think women would be interested. Uh, but yeah, Rina Saramaki, how did I pronounce that? I will accept it, it's okay. <laughs> thank you very much, thank you very much. So perhaps it'd be good for you, or it would be good for you to explain a little bit about what you do, and then we can talk about the, the very finished problem that we're going to discuss this week. So a little brief intro, or as long as you feel the need. Oh, well... Um, I write about clothes, clothing industry, textiles. Quite, uh, currently, I'm writing a book about the quality of clothes and a kind of field guide to going to clothing shops and trying to hunt the one good quality specimen from between the hundred uh, mediocre or crap ones that... Uh, Don't look at me and Thomas when you say that. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's very clear that we're in need of a book like that. But yeah, yes. Oh, but yeah, everyone Everyone is. is. Everyone is. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, that's. But uh, no one has written that book yet. I mean, I needed to, but uh, since it didn't exist, I have to write it myself. Okay, so it's a field guide to buying clothes that aren't crap. Yes. That's really good. <laughs> okay, so that's interesting. Field guide to buying clothes that aren't crap. And uh, in a world where we're, we're awash with crap clothes, I could imagine that's quite a challenge. Um, so, but as you're the clothes expert, the reason we have you here today, well, there are many reasons, but this is one of them, is we're going to discuss a problem uh, regard, which is number 97 in 101 Very Finished Problems, The Foreigner's Guide to Surviving in Finland, available from all good bookstores. <laughs> <laughs> Which is when your children need a wee after getting dressed for winter. Uh, and anyone who has children is is familiar with this challenge. Uh, and 
I think uh, one thing that always strikes me is the is how how that you can tell uh, how far we are into the year by the layers you have to put on. So in in your in your world where you're trying to get clothes that are ethically uh, produced, how do you how do you tackle putting layers of layers of clothes? Is there any different techniques there? Or? Oh well. What, what do your what do, what does your daughter wear? Who happens to be well a very good friend of my daughter? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and- through this connection I was asked to appear yeah, in yeah. I podcast. only have my mates come on it. <laughs> I'm just so happy that oh, my well, mates are all very talented and interesting individuals fortunately yeah yeah uh, well she's most addressed in secondhand clothes because uh, the hassle of trying to find all these 20 layers of kids where you need to dress her up in winter made in ethical conditions and uh, you know wow, that's, that's quite a challenge it's a challenge so it's is like, it even possible uh, theoretically yes i guess but uh, even i have my limits of <laughs> time and patience and endurance for this quest so buying secondhand is like uh, uh, this short uh, circuit i don't know so so are you saying then that that even though if a if a if a a, a piece of clothing is made in a, in a slave shop in bangladesh if it's second hand in your eyes that's more morally justifiable definitely because the money is not going to you know support oh, right, the, yeah, the okay. uh, original operation uh-huh. but of course we are like uh, trying to build this world where you can just go into any clothing shop and buy whatever and you don't even need to think about the ethical issues and uh, who made it and what kind of horrible factory because everything would be made just as ethically as if but it is that like a utopian hand. vision of a future that will never be or, or am i just being incredibly cynical um i don't see any reason why not it's just going to take an incredible amount of coordination and uh, dedication So, but what so would be the incentive? Not for... in the next few years, I'm right, afraid. Right. Okay. So, but before I die, <laughs> fingers crossed, I'm going to have a long and glorious life. Before yeah. you die in some like weird, extreme winter storm ten years <laughs> yeah. from now, because of climate so, change. I mean, absolutely. I mean, yeah. I mean, there's me de- desperately trying to dress ethically and sadly freezing to death in the process, yeah. which would be about. But I mean, yeah. I mean, oh, well, in regards to kids, the, the issue is that the, you need to buy all these clothes every winter. I mean. If you are buying something for yourself, you can uh, set aside like a half a year to trying to research the most ethical and the best option. But uh, for kids wear, because you have to buy them all the time, you you know, yeah, you cannot use the same uh, uh, mid layers or the same. I I don't know even the names of these. I don't think they have names in English. English. They don't exist in English. The only they don't have. This is merely a finished thing. We don't have layers. We just have one. Big, we have a jumper and then a coat. We don't. Well, we have like long johns, maybe. But that's if it's like. I mean, if it gets to like zero degrees, <gasps> people. Freak, oh, freak zero. oh no, zero degrees. First of all, <laughs> the whole country collapses. Well, I mean, that's the thing. We've discussed this before, actually. Weather. I mean, yeah. As soon as it gets hit, as soon as it hits zero or minus, as soon as the country freezes or is there snow, I mean, we don't. The children don't dress up in stuff because okay, they have. The, first of all, they have the day of school, but then the whole country grinds to a halt. And yeah, I mean, you'd get wrapped up uh, scarf and jumper and. But, I mean, no one has the multitude of different layers that children, Michelin man, like waddle down the down the street in in, uh, in Finland. But that's a good point about the uh, having to buy new stuff all the time. So, I mean, is it the case that Finland is anyway in any way leading the world, or is in any way like a 
uh, showing how it can be done in terms of like, are there any manufacturers or clothes makers or designers? Are there, is there anyone in Finland that we should be celebrating? Oh, well, there is a lot of uh, interest and a lot of like um, discussion about these issues in Finland in, in regards to fashion industry and clothing. But uh, um, I'm sorry to say that we are not, uh, I guess, leading in any meaningful way any more than any other country in Europe. So it's not a national thing. It's more of like, I mean, who who would be the, is there any any country or is there any, what's the, what are the main companies that are like? Or are there any clothing companies that are? I don't know if you mean the companies that uh, design in yeah, Finland, headquarters in Finland, or companies that actually manufacture in Finland. Yeah, I just mean, well, if I wanted to go buy it. the multitude of layers for my children, and I really wanted to be as ethical and avoid slave factories, and who would, what were the options? Am I, are there any options, or have I just got to compromise? Have I just got to suck up the fact that my children would be wearing clothes made by other children mm. <laughs> in warmer climes? I don't know if Patagonia, who is famous for this ecological uh, outdoor clothing, I don't know if they make kids wear. But at the moment, the best you can do, I think, is uh, accept that the the clothes that you find in shops at the moment are not as ethical as we would like. Uh-huh. But like that's past. What we are trying to change is the future. Right, so, okay. I like your optimistic style. <laughs> yes. <there. laughs> Well, uh, this is the only way to remain uh, even somewhat, uh, you know, sane about this whole thing. <laughs> Otherwise, uh, one is just sinking into despair. Yeah, 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 yeah. I can see, and that's something that I, you don't need much. You don't need much to push you in that direction in Finland in the winter, anyway. Do you? So yeah. <laughs> let's not think about clo- winter clothes in winter whilst we're already walking down that path. But the the thing to do is not uh, trying to find the perfectly ethical specimen. Uh, that just doesn't exist yet uh-huh. but uh, to inspire the clothing companies to change their ways in such a way that uh, in the future we will have this ethically produced right, so okay. the, the the easiest thing i think is to just write an email and ask how ethically are these Yeah, I think you, don't, you mention that in your book, don't you? In fact, yeah. we should mention your book, actually. The oh, one yeah. you've actually written, which we talked about the one you were going to write, which is currently still in your mind, in the, in the hard drive of your head. But what about the one you've actually done? Oh, yeah, it's called Hyvä mielen vaatikaappi in Finnish. It's uh, Feel Good Wardrobe. Feel Good Wardrobe, yes. Google it. Uh, uh, it's uh, half self-help book about uh, getting your wardrobe in order and having the clothes that you want and not the clothes you don't want and half about fixing the the global injustice prevalent in in fashion industry because these two things as far away from each other as they appear to be are actually quite interconnected like the reason we have too many clothes in our wardrobes And to the point that they they are more stressed than joy is uh, connected to the fact that there are people uh, working away 20 hour days on their sewing machines making those clothes and uh, for a dollar a pop. Okay, yes. I, I have a I have a sort of follow up to this, or, or rather like a, a bit of like a request to back up a bit, like ex- explaining the explain explaining the problems because I mean I understand that there's a lot of like nasty chemical work in, involved in just producing the textiles you you mm-hmm. you use in clothes and then there are there are the terrible factory conditions where you sew the clothes 
and uh, what else what else is there and how, how does the supply chain look and why is it problematic great question great question you gotta give it to him okay well, should I start uh, from uh, from start, start, here start from or bottom. from where the cross <laughs> the whole the whole chain from beginning to end is just filled, filled with evil the evils of capitalism yeah, all, all the layers of evil evil all the way down oh yes <laughs> So when you go to a clothing shop and uh, you see these uh, discount clothes, you can get, uh, let's see, say, uh, three T-shirts for uh, 15 euros or something like that. Uh, it it appears probably like a normal mundane thing, but it's actually a result of really long and complicated and many cases really morally corrupt chain of of events that has led to this possibility because it's actually really crazy that we can get such cheap clothes when they are um, like a t-shirt which is made from well, you don't give a t-shirt as an example in, in the book or is it jeans? oh yeah the, uh, t-shirt because it's like uh, something that so everybody far, so knows far, and it's away, a kind so. of uh, Standardized item of clothing. They don't have. You'll be pleased to hear, actually. Sorry to interrupt. You'll be pleased to hear that very finished problems folks are going to start selling (laughs) t-shirts via our shop, which is not yet free. But of course, we'll be sourcing that from a very morally sound. (laughs) I appreciate that. But I'm going to walk into that. (laughs) Fifty euros a pop. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You're going to get an email from me. I guess. Mm -hmm. Sorry. yeah, Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, the t-shirts are made from fabric, which is uh, made from yarn, which is made from cotton and the cotton is grown somewhere. Probably the cotton in one t-shirt is actually sourced from uh, many continents, let's say Africa and Central Asia and, uh, and China or United States. And in in all stages of this extremely long and complicated process to turning this uh, fluff from some uh, <laughs> plant, like a cotton plant, it's, uh-huh. uh, to make the fluff from this cotton plant into a t-shirt, you need like a hundred operations, which are, of course, partly made by machines, but there are also a lot of people involved and to get finished product that costs something like five euros after this hundred complicated uh, processes is uh, it, it just means that the people have been, is exploited. Yeah. Basically. No one has been paid fairly, basically. Yeah. Well, it's crazy. I mean, I think it is what I've always found amazing. And in fact, until we had this conversation or long ago, I always knew that the fashion industry had some, had some issues, but it never struck me that, um, how cheap everything has become. Do you know what I mean? It's like, and so I think people would be willing to pay more if they re- appreciated these squalid conditions that, Everyone creates these things in. I mean, you know, five. Well, the difference between five years and ten years is not very much. Yeah, well, he, here's the thing. I mean, you, you need to manage people's expect, expectations, and now yeah, no these days ex- people expect to buy a five euro T-shirt, and it's be it will be it will be usable for a year. Then it will it will be falling apart. But I think what so. You if if your wardrobe like consists of like cheap things that fall apart quickly, it, it's kind of weird, or, or it's hard to get in a headspace where you suddenly 
pay five times five times more for something that lasts longer, perhaps. But what I would do, in the same way that they now do with cigarettes, where they put like rotting lungs on the packet, I just put pictures of like hunched up like five year old kids. Not even yeah, why not? Do you know what I mean? You should really. I mean, I think or, that's going to that's going to affect sales probably. <laughs> actually, I think I made a, a weird jump to conclusions here. Uh, would ethical clothes automatically be more durable? No, ethics and durability are yeah. not connected. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. Why? So, so, so you mean you can make durable clothes also unethically? Oh yeah, you can make totally like in theory you can make really high quality clothes in horrible conditions, or uh-huh. you can have really good conditions uh, and Making make horrible. crappy clothes. <laughs> so they, these two things are not uh, yeah, 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 related yeah. to each other. But there are. I mean, for example, I like to buy but, stuff from. Uh, but if you go to the trouble of ensuring that your factory conditions and uh, the the conditions in the place where they make the fabrics and uh, all the way back to the the, the cotton fields or whatever if if you make the go to the trouble of ensuring that these all these parts of the chain are okay probably you also go to the trouble of making good quality product so what is it then that stops because people like hmm and zara you know the bloke who owns zara he's like one of the richest men in the world isn't he i mean they all know they all know the deal and they all make the right noises but clearly ultimately they don't give a fuck do they otherwise they would change it because if they changed then surely that would... I mean, if you had a big, massive clothes manufacturer who made a very big deal and actually did something like that and made made clothes more expensive but gave people a better life throughout the whole... Would that not... You know, why, why do they not do that? Is it mo- it's money, obviously, but like... Oh, well, it's um, like one player, as much as I hate to, you know, <laughs> uh, understand these uh, people rolling in their money <laughs> and... Getting the benefits of the system, but still, not one any one player cannot change its work. Uh, the, it, there has to be a systemic change. Right. Okay. And uh, I'm I'm telling people as consumers to be aware and uh, email and do stuff and like that. that so, works. but uh, the the biggest thing we could do is actually have some globally enforced uh, rules of commerce that. Uh, Automatically, like uh, lift the the lowest level of right. Contact. So it's got raise, yeah. raising wages, for example. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so, so the email should go to Brussels. <laughs> if people can be asked to do that, it would be excellent. But uh, writing to politicians is more stressful to writing to uh, companies because, uh, at, like, the companies are eager to respond because they pretend to care. Don't they? Uh, yeah. yeah, because they have their money in it. So in the US, they always tell people to write their congressmen in, in good old fashioned like paper letters. Is, is that true with members of the European Parliament? I think they're a bit more high tech than that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just not I mean, I mean that's, you supposedly get more attention if you, yeah, if you send it. Yeah, it would make sense. And people yeah. don't give me letters, do they? I mean, actually, physical. Mm-hmm. I mean, the same way that vinyl's making a comeback, podcasts making a comeback. <laughs> is it the case of the written word on old school? Parchment mm-hmm. is Parchment. making a comeback. Yeah. <laughs> Delivered by a pigeon. But, but, yeah, but yeah, so. so <laughs> Or or you can, you know, make this uh, carving on stone <laughs> mail that <laughs> to Surprise! I mean, that definitely would make an impact, wouldn't it? I mean, merely the actual act of getting into the office. <laughs> Ding dong, we have, your, we have your stone-carved letter. Okay, but, but the solution to this whole, like, glo- global system of, in this case, clothes, it, it depends on, like, global trade deals, essentially, or something yes, like that. Yes, that's the... Uh, conclusion I've come to myself but it doesn't mean that uh, people generally just uh, 
you know, sit back and enjoy the current situation as long as it lasts. It's like everyone has to do something at least. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I just pressed a button here. Does that make any difference? N- no, that's no. an XLR cable. And right. that, that's just a thing. That you- <laughs> Which is why you're the producer and I'm not. Yes, that would be the case. <laughs> so, because um, it's interesting, like, I mean, the more you read about the fashion industry, the more depressing you get. It gets. I mean, the fact I was reading the other day, about, I can't, was it in Cambodia or Bangladesh? I know Bangladesh is a hub of like, incredibly cheap labor. and But how, I, th- I think it was Cambodia, or where they're trying to unionize and just get like a decent wage, and they get, and the government basically works on for, on behalf of the of the fashion industry just to beat the shit out of anyone who protests. And so we're talking about like trade deals. Is that I mean, is that an example of why a trade deal will be effective? Because if the government of like I don't, I can't, I don't want to smear Cambodian government, it may be bank. Well, one of the Southeast Asian countries that is very uh, prolific at making clothes. I can't remember which one it was, but probably oh well, uh, most of them. <laughs> uh, would it be the case that trade deals would be the most effective way because then they wouldn't be beating? people in the streets for unionizing is that what you're saying oh yeah because if they couldn't get any uh, special advantage by having really cheap exploitable labor force then why would they bother beating up their own people yeah that's true, mm. <laughs> that's well, true. a while back i read this really long piece in, in some some uh, anglo magazine where there was a critique of the whole like uh, ethical consumer movement like going to, well going into exactly these sorts of arguments where where we where we're sort of getting to the point where you can't change much as a consumer just demanding like better better like more ethical deals well, it's, a it's a global problem and actually when you when you go into things like electronics and stuff like that like if the western world suddenly started like demanding like better stuff you still have the like what we think what, what we still think of as the third world which is isn't really the third world anymore but emerging economies like brazil and india uh, where they now have a, a huge market for like for example extremely cheaply made chinese electronics and they have their own big brands now which are emerging in these in these parts of the world that we even don't even know about and uh, we have no way of, of affecting that essentially so you're so you're saying basically there are cheap brands made in the countries that we are talking about, and our, our emails and these, have and these, no effect whatsoever because they're selling to their own internal markets. Yes, yes, and these con- these countries are trading between themselves. Right. Okay. For, so like for the these countries like Brazil, India, China, China. Sorry, yeah. the BRIC. Yes. Brick countries. Yes. So that's a good point, actually. What would you do then? Who would you send I, your I email will. to then, Rena? Put that in your pipe and smoke it. Uh, uh, like uh, we have these. Uh, uh, Western uh, prestige brands that if if they have really excellent uh, working conditions and so on, I'm, it's going to like set the the direction that other brands. Right. So you will think the brands, these brands point. that Thomas is talking about, they mimic the Western yeah. brands and the way they work and. But why would they bother uh, paying any attention to the conditions where things are made if even really high name brands yeah, yeah, yeah. don't care so so it's like setting an example basically yeah 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 what i just gave you was a like uh, like a crappy walkthrough of the article i will link to it in the show notes <laughs> so it's, it's a really interesting read and so what was the conclusion of the article you read I mean, it was essentially regulation because regulation i mean yeah. the, the point was again that you know as consumers we we can make individual choices but in the end it, it doesn't really matter because it's are there are these like huge intermediary steps where even the companies that are like ordering the t-shirts 
they might actually legitimately have have a hard time figuring out the supply chain. Yes, yes, it, it like it is not easy. It is a really uh, false idea to think it's just a case of uh, some individual greed. It's really complicated, but it doesn't mean that we should like give up and mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> curl well, into the I mean, ball. I mean, also the <laughs> fact that I mean, I don't think I don't think many people, and certainly you go into sort of like H and M or, and I thought it was really interesting the concept of fast fashion, which was I hadn't been aware of, but the idea that like whereas in the past you'd have four like seasons based upon the seasons of the year, so in in Finland the seasons of the winter would be like six, six months long <laughs> but like then you'd have like so you'd have summer uh, we all know the seasons but then uh, and now you have like seasons which are basically like two weeks is that what yeah the whole concept of season in, in regards of fashion has more or less evaporated and you're constantly there's a constant seems to be a yeah, constant pressure to buy this because this is currently in fashion but in two weeks time no one will be wearing it, it. How, I have to stop you there because people are really uh, dissing, uh, like uh, bad mouthing fashion as a, a, a reason for this uh, uh, constant buying new stuff and, and hyper consumption. But it's not the fault of fashion. Uh, it's like we used to have fashion way before we had fast fashion. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So um, it's more like fashion if if it's. Uh, this uh, uh, condition uh, where you um, you have to dress in a certain way or you will really look weird uh-huh. or, and mm. out of place. And uh, everyone must follow this fashion or, or really stick out weirdly and get stares. Yeah, we are looking at you, Thomas. <laughs> no, well, I, I live no, in, I, 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 I live in Bali. If he was dressed in the so. 17th century, where he would be out idea. of fashion. Having a big ruff. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, 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 live, I live next to this, like, uh, big... You live uh, next to a 17th century dress. No, I live next to this big, like, uh, Kaiku nightclub complex in uh, Kallio, and uh, it's apparently high fashion now to wear, like, 90s Nike and Adidas. Man, I cannot believe, I can't believe the 80s ever came back. I see people also, like, for example, I cannot understand why people tuck their t-shirts into their trousers. To me, that was even, that was never cool in the 80s. And to do that again, you're just, just wrong on every single level. And you know, the 80s for me, and I live through the 80s. So all it's those of you who may be living, who may not have lived through the 80s, don't go there. Seriously, don't go there. Even whilst I was living, everyone thought it was rubbish. I mean, I, I so, don't mind oh, you. But, but you're late, you're late, because it's totally a 90s revival. Oh, it's like. 90s now, yeah. there you go. Well, I mean, I don't mind the 80s as long as we don't get into the shoulder pads. 90s are a thing. different story, though. Yeah, yeah the shoulder pads. Yeah. I mean, the yeah, shoulder but, pads but, but hey, before I forget, actually, so something hair. something uh, related to the actual topic. I mean, the fast fashion thing, uh, is, is is it related to this whole global phenomenon of uh, just-in-time logistics where companies can order smaller batches of things and see if they sell and then have just a, a well, a just-in-time system of getting more of the same? Yes, definitely. Uh, the, uh, these um, computer, computer systems that uh, you can plan ahead so that you don't uh, have any uh, varasta. Surplus. Uh, like varasto. That's physical. my new word for yeah, the day. Uh, everything uh, you, it, either is it's in shop or it's in transit or it's being made. So there's no wastage, basically, uh, in terms of like there's no stuff that you can't you, you sell. You don't need uh, storage. Right, okay. Uh, you can save quite a lot of money, apparently, if if you plan ahead in such a way that uh, 
all these uh, things, these things you are selling so uh, are either coming or going, but they you don't need to right, keep okay. them yourself. So that's another example yeah. of, of machines taking over the world and efficiency being detrimental to the human condition, which actually leads us quite nicely to the, uh, the uh, topic of your sci-fi writing, which I'd like to touch upon. I don't know if, we, if you want to speak more about clothes. Should we speak more about clothes? Oh, we, well, we can oh, more, probably think more about questions, but but if, if sci-fi I, is always yeah, interesting. I mean, I'm, you know, I mean, really, the, I, I mean, I talked about the clothes things. I know clothes things you'll think, but really, the real reason we're here is to talk about your sci-fi stuff. And it's unlikely, most people would probably be surprised to discover that you're an advocate for ethical clothes, but also very much into sci-fi. And also, between you and I, I used to write sci-fi short stories. I've I've never seen those, so I can't You haven't seen them, and no, they they were published, but in obscure magazines read by like five people. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, everything you've been talking about, I've been thinking on mine, I mean, even though, I mean, it, it makes you think, are we living in this dystopia already? Like, I mean, the idea that you're, the, the whole fashion industry seems to be really reflective of that. I mean, here we are at the end process, all the bling, the glitz, the glamour, all the nice stuff. But underneath that, like a swan, actually it's a bad metaphor, like a swan drifting along a lake <laughs> and beneath it, their feet are flapping. And if those feet were horrible feet. <laughs> and, they were in, and they were in chains. Tentacles. <laughs> and they were, electrocuted, they were electrocuted to move. Do you know what I mean? So we're oh, gliding. That's excellent. I mean, the, the, <laughs> you could have that free of charge. But the idea that, like, yeah, we're, we're living this gilded life of pleasure and joy. I mean, even even in the West, we're not all living that. But like, certainly, with a fifteen percent of the world's population in the West who, who benefit from the sort of like abject poverty of like eighty five percent of the world's population, um, you would you could argue that's that is a sort of a futuristic dystopia already. So, as a sci fi writer. I mean, where do you stand on that? That that as a knowing what you do. Do you think that's in any way influenced your sci-fi writing, though, your oh, knowledge of the fashion industry? Yeah, it's uh, both science fiction and fashion industry. They're all the time looking forward. Like they are not so far away from each other as uh, people generally tend to assume, because they're all the time other foot in the future and uh, trying to, you know. Also influence uh, what's coming next by. Well, I think sci-fi actually has a very, very has a real strong pedigree of that. I remember writing a blog post for like Nokia about like uh, things that have been in Star Trek that actually become real products. And I mean, mm. there's, there's a huge amount of evidence to suggest that sci-fi as a, a genre, which is much ridiculed by many people in the mainstream, I, I, I love, I mean, I don't actually sadly don't read sci-fi hardly at all anymore, but I used to love it. I mean, I've got massive respect for writers who can create sci-fi worlds without just thrust it, do you know what I mean? With like, in a way that's subtle rather than like, and... Okay, is now sliding a bit into like uh, inside baseball here. Uh, <laughs> what, what, what is what is your sci-fi writing? Is it like oh, I'm uh, not very much published yet. Just uh, starting with this thing, but uh, yep, I read uh, Asimov's uh, one uh, this uh, essay where he postulated that anyone who's been reading science fiction. Uh, around the age of 14 will eventually start writing science fiction stories. (laughs) Well, you would say that. Goodness, I mean, he's right. Just uh, one... um, I'm surprised it took you so long. (laughs) Yes, but just uh, about two years ago, one night I couldn't sleep and I started writing a science fiction story on my cell phone which took most wow, of the night. Wow, that's a sci-fi. Even yeah. the, the movie yeah. itself, it's like it's a scene from a sci-fi, isn't it? It's like yeah. writing your sci-fi movie. It's very meta, that, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's just like... 
And how did that go? Oh, well, it was a crappy story, yeah. but uh, I got it like it had a beginning and middle yeah, and yeah, end. Yeah, that's exactly so. like my first sci-fi story. I sent it to a friend to read. He said, yeah, it's got a beginning and middle and end. <laughs> okay, so, so, so what is your like, favorite genre of, of, of like sci-fi? It's like Black Mirror, like dystopias, where it's like, uh, what if your dog was a coffee maker? They're also spied on you. <laughs> that's a brilliant idea. I hope someone's done that. Because if they haven't, they should be. Okay. Now you're going to fill my night. That's my weekend nightmares. Total nightmares up. But so yeah, what is uh, that? My uh, favorite genre of reading or favorite genre of writing. My favorite genre of reading, I guess, is uh, either a really huge uh, space opera Epics. with uh, yeah, this uh, galaxies colliding and uh, stuff like that, or. Um, Yeah, I have really soft spot for this uh, 90s cyberpunk. <laughs> <laughs> the really cheesy, really yeah. <laughs> really cheesy, where they're you know looking for uh, like phone cables, <laughs> trying to <laughs> connect to the matrix or something. Wait, uh, like cyberpunk. <laughs> yeah, yeah, really old school cyberpunk. Oh, nice. But yeah, I'm omnivorous. I'm reading all every, every, any science fiction I. Just That's crazy. Them. I'm quite jealous of your appetite for that. <laughs> I I, lo- I used to really get into Ian M. Banks and he's... Oh, yeah. I'm yeah, a huge Banks. He's a brilliant... Do, yeah, he's a brilliant, right? So, I mean, then he went and died, time. didn't he? Which was really mm. annoying. But, I mean, I was a fa- I'm a fan of using both his sort of literary fiction, Ian Banks... Uh, books and he's Ian M. Banks science fiction. I think he's, he's an amazing writer. So, yeah, I, I, I think uh, so. I think he would. How would you describe him? He's he's like player of games and a sort of like galaxy epic. Yeah, yeah, tree, that has yeah. Uh, the sort of scale that I really appreciate. Is that that's not, that's not what you're writing though? No, no, that's I'm a, a massive uh, that's an, a massive undertaking. That's a lifetime's work. That's an epic, is it? That's like the Tolkien esque of like. I don't know. I would love to write something like that, but I'm not up to it yet. So I'm facing my limitations. I've been writing in regards to fashion and science fiction. I have this uh, um, hope to write science fiction stories that have the all the other fields of science totally wrong and pulled from thin air but everything related to textiles is spot on <laughs> that's a whole new sci fashion that's a whole new genre because I have this huge list of, of uh, mistakes about textiles or clothes or or the fashion in science fiction books <laughs> that has been accumulating over the years. fashion fails in the in, in science fiction. That's a, that's a book in itself. And how's I'm it going? Totally for that? going to do that. Yeah, I think it makes. I think that to, totally makes sense. So, how about like in terms of the Finnish uh, sci-fi? Scene. I mean, are there many Finnish? I mean, I don't know any, but I could be. I'm, you know, I'm not as immersed in it as you. Because you, you didn't you go to? Didn't they host the sci-fi oh, uh, annual, annual? You were there, weren't you? Oh, I totally was there. From and you were like, the was there a big? There was a big drama. Worldcon, the Worldcon. There was yeah. a big drama. Was that Worldcon? Was it? Oh, but we didn't have any big drama in in Finland. It was. Um, Previous years. Oh, it's the fascist sci-fi writers versus the um, sort of wasn't it? Wasn't but I'm not really well 
burst in that conflict, but uh, I'm just glad it was more or less resolved before. But can we just can you just give a little bit more detail? Because I think that's really interesting. Did you know about this, Thomas? In the whole sci-fi writers world, Mm -hmm. there are people who are basically fascists who are are writing uh, their their idea of 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 a future, which is I mean, well, you know better Uh, than me. there, there is this uh, Hugo Award that is given in various categories, and uh, the so-called called puppies were trying to rig the system somehow to get their favorite authors uh, high on the list. But uh, and their favorite authors all have one thing in common, which is <laughs> well, they <laughs> definitely don't uh, approve of uh, like. Uh, Maybe female writers or writers of, of any ethnicity. Except I think, but yeah, they're basically like neo, neo-nationalist fuckwits. Well, as well, as I uh, like they were, in the beginning, I think the whole movement was like just people who were fans of this really old-fashioned type of science fiction, which uh-huh. in itself is not a bad thing. Absolutely you can, not, like, no. you, if, if you want to read... Uh, optimistic stories about rockets that's perfectly fine but it somehow uh, got tangled up with these nastier people but you know I, I don't think I know enough about this to okay well that's just an interesting <laughs> insight to the fact that, that science fiction is which is sometimes seen as a bit of like a you know people who aren't into science fiction I think they often just dismiss it but the idea that things are so serious that's what really took me about it this, is a <laughs> but ma- this whole debacle is not going to you know endear people who don't read science fiction <laughs> this is very true no one cares all about all of them are really getting along perfectly there was a sci-fi um, conference in Finland, wasn't that? Was this the WorldCon thing? Yeah, yeah. And uh, what, it's that's a huge like a big, event. Yeah, huge. and that's uh, the once white, in a lifetime. So that's where. And what, how, what is that? It's where just where writers come and they just discuss. I mean, what what's the actual what happens? Well, oh, the question I was going to ask actually, which I've told you, it was the Finnish thing. What's the deal with Finnish? sci-fi writers and other than yourself. We have really, really active uh, science fiction and speculative fiction writing community in oh, Finland. Right, cool. uh, like, uh, I think we have like more than dozens of authors. Right. Okay. We've got published authors. Or well, we have also enthusiastic- really active this uh, small uh, publisher. Right, okay. Uh, Any you want to give a shout out to? Anything I that... Don't know, pe- uh, who is going to buy me a beer <laughs> in our next meeting? <laughs> And they, they publish in Finnish, presumably. Uh, yeah, but yeah. Uh, for Worldcon, a lot of those publishers put out uh, books in English right, also cool. for the international audience. Which I think it'd be interesting, actually. To I do haven't it. had uh, time to read through those yet. Right. So. And are they set in Finland? Because I think Finland would be really a really interesting place. I've often thought about like uh, when I've been toying with my uh, half-finished novel. Half-finished? <laughs> half-finished. Half-finished actually seven years ago. Half-finished or half-finished? <laughs> well, it is, but yeah, yeah. Brilliant playing words. <laughs> uh, I and, um, yeah, I mean, it, could, it, ha- it hasn't got a Finnish element in it, but I was thinking of taking it down the, down the sort of futuristic Finnish sci-fi road, which would be very different to the current first half. But I just think there's so many possibilities. You could have a very sort of, it's very easy, very easy to ma- imagine a sort of futuristic Finland, I think, in an interestingly engaging way. But I don't know, that's probably been done. Has it been done? Has there been a sci-fi, to your knowledge, set in Finland? Oh, I think half of them. Did you, did, have you ever read this... Teemestarinkirja. Uh, um, wait, I, I think I have to Google it to get the... 
the author's name because I have really crappy memory for oh, names. There uh, are the show notes, so we can. Yeah, we can add ask them to people we can to go and check that out. Yeah. So, everyone. Yeah, All the all the show notes from after the podcast. But this, uh, it's been translated into English and it's been really well received about Finland in kind of a post-apocalyptic world, but it's not uh, like Mad Max where people are uh-huh. uh, going around in flash cars and shooting everything. It's yeah. really this subdued, <laughs> quiet, like uh, the water has run, like the, there is not enough water for oh, everyone. Okay. And Which is quite like, you sort of inverted the whole idea of the hundred <laughs> thousand, land of yeah. a thousand lakes and made water a scarce resort. Also, people are trying to come to Finland to get the water or... Or is it just no water in Finland? Oh, I should just read very, this. Yeah, yeah, you should, should definitely read, this, read it. Yeah. I, I, I really love the kind of uh, melancholy air <laughs> that is not at all typical in science fiction, but it was somehow really, I mean, it didn't focus on Finland in any special way, even though it was set in Finland. Huh? But uh, the the tone of the, and the mood of the book was somehow really Finnish. It right, was okay. uh, really... Not uh, in the same vein as most uh, science fiction is written. Well, let's put that. that we should do a book. We should do a blog post about that. Should mm. we finish sci-fi? Yeah, we should. For definitely for my benefit. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so that's a recommendation. Yeah. Um, Great recommendation because I, I remember <laughs> the name of the author, but uh, other people will remember. Yeah, we'll it. put yes. that in the show notes. We'll put that. What's your experience of you got? A, I see you got a sci-fi T-shirt on. No, this is uh, a <laughs> band-like T-shirt. Oh, right. okay. It looks yeah. like it could easy, that could easily be a 70 sci-fi uh, yeah. book yeah, cover, couldn't it? And it should a, be probably. Yeah, well, it's a it's a T-shirt like mentioning this Canadian band called Destroyer, which yeah. is a, yeah. And so, so where do you stand on that? What's your experience of sci-fi? Well, sci-fi. I actually, yeah, I, this ties into what I was going to suggest for the end of the podcast, which which is recommendations. Actually, uh, I haven't read uh, a lot of sci-fi, but. Um, I, I've read some stuff that I really like. This Swedish writer called P.C. Järsild, uh, who um, has has a couple of books that really stuck with me. I read them as a kid. Uh, a Living Soul, which is about a brain floating in a you know in a what, what you call Jelly. it a, a, aquarium. All oh, right, yeah. <laughs> it's a brain floating in an aquarium, well, like being, con- being right, conscious, okay. but not, a, not able to go beyond the aquarium. Yes, and, well, and, think and that's observing, quite challenging and observing like, the laboratory around. Right, around okay. them. there's a whole book. He's carried a whole book with that, hasn't he? Yes, and, and there's a there's a dog strapped to a similar machine, and uh, it's it's a it's a bunch of observation, and it's 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 a really striking book. Right, okay, I really so recommend I, it. It's uh, it's en levande sjel in Swedish, a living soul by pc years years it's translated of his books uh, that traumas, traumatized me as a child about the <laughs> uh, life uh, world after huge uh, nuclear war yes <laughs> that would be after, that after the flood that was yeah. the other one i was going to mention i shouldn't have read it <laughs> at least <laughs> not that young yeah yeah i mean it, it's also i've read it as a, a 12 year old maybe and it really left a mark i mean yeah. it's uh, after the flood from 1982 yeah, it's it's a post-apocalyptic thing I set in a sort of in a Swedish archipelago. Yes, yeah. that sounds a bit like Zed for Zachariah. Have you ever read that? It's basically nope. a deal where there's a, a similar thing, post-apocalyptic. There's a girl, she's in a Welsh valley, which is perfect. Nothing's been, but beyond the valley. Oh, I read great, that too. It's a great I, I read. Basically, she's there on her own. Her parents go and find out what's happening and never come back. And then one day a bloke turns up in like a space suit who's like, 
he's made, he's got this amazing surviving the nuclear. And it's about he comes to the valley, and it's about their relationship. So that's a great book as well. I mean, it sounds like a similar thing if if people are just people are just, so how they how they they think they're the last two people on earth basically. And as you'd imagine, it gets a bit messy. I won't mm-hmm. ruin it. Yeah. But there's some great sci-fi books from the 80s, actually. Stuff like Day of the Triffids and stuff. You ever read that? Oh, no. Nope. Never read Day of the Triffids? Day of the Triffids is about, about plants. There's a, 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 a some sort of weird, like, um, weird, weird... I can't remember how there's some weird a comic goes across. It makes everyone blind who looks at it. So the whole world, everyone becomes blind. And at the same time, there's these... What are the, these plants called Triffids? Uh, land on Earth, and they blind you basically. They've got this tongue, and so it's about a pl- it's about the only p- the people who suddenly become the most important people are the people who can see. Huh. So I can't remember who wrote that. It's a great. There's some great British science fiction. Oh, writers, it actually. will be in the show notes. Yeah, as well. be in the show notes as well. So yeah, we could probably go on and on. But maybe, maybe you should give us a couple of recommendations. Sci-fi. This yeah, is un- unexpectedly we suck loads of people in about fashion. Uh-huh. So there's loads of people saying, "Oh, in fact, I would convert, I would uh, change." Uh, I've actually okay. heard like listener feedback. This is what people tune in for, like uh, our random conversations. Our random but, conversations. But, as long as they're interesting. Yeah, good. I, mean, I, to- yeah. I totally lead this double life, uh, like uh, half of the time I'm t- talking about clothes, and uh, half of the time I'm at least thinking about science fiction <laughs> <laughs> it's a great comment I, 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 I want to do some kind of crossover but <laughs> I think fa- fashions from sci-fi would be a great would be a great a great coffee table book wouldn't it I mean it's been right. amazing like I, you know I, I, mm. uh, well actually I've been uh, discussing with uh, this uh, researcher friend of mine of you should do it man I think yeah. it'd be fun. I mean people would buy that definitely I mean yeah. just merely the actual visual cat eye candy of like I mean you think of some of the great sci-fi movies some of the stuff that the, the design elements yeah there has been a lot of influence back and forth um, between science fiction and, and fashion. Well, more, more like a, uh, fashion is taking uh, yeah, inspired by inspiration from science fiction, but uh, there's no reason why it couldn't go the other way also. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's a bunch of photos to clear. Some some lawyer needs to do all that busy work, but other than that, it would be like... A, I'd buy probably, it. Yeah. There you go, you've got Who two wouldn't? customers straight away. Who wouldn't? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so coffee table books. Yeah. yeah, so that's something on the table. So, but what about yeah? Your any recommendations for sci-fi that you would, you would, you would like, you would suggest people read? Oh well, Other if you, you, you want to depress you uh, yourself, you yeah, should read. But and... it's really good, good thinking and uh, really uh, good concepts. Uh, this book called uh, Wind Up Girl by some author whose name I cannot remember. <laughs> I never remember names. I'm lucky to remember At least titles. I remember the name of the exactly, book. Exactly, that's by yeah. far most important. It's uh, about the like uh, genetic uh, technology that uh, trying to improve our, our food plants through gene modifications. Uh-huh. And Sounds uh, quite, well, it's yeah, basically it, happening yeah, now. So it, it all goes a bit wrong, does it? Uh, going wrong. And, oh, no, there you go. Warning. And it's set in... Uh, Fireland, which is also interesting because it's not in in the English language science fiction. It's not a typical place. It's set where? Thailand. Oh right, okay, that's interesting. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Cool. That's one. That's that's one. One very depressing one. Any upbeat ones or? Mm. <laughs> the upbeat isn't really a part of the sci-fi. I mean, quite rare to find a happy upbeat sci-fi. I think. I mean, I suppose they do exist, but. But one thing, actually, I want to touch. So, if you've got, you can carry on thinking of that oh, question. Yeah, yeah. But the, I was really looking forward to the uh, sci-fi movie of which you then panned, uh, and it just came out a couple of. Everyone panned it actually. The one with the French bloke. 
Terrible, don't go. like, no. It's a, you, yeah, you panned it, didn't you? Why I am With the Valerian. person Valerian. I am today is because I read Valerian comics as a kid. Yeah, They're yeah, really, yeah. really important for me. Yeah, and he fucked it up for you. And he really ruined it in a well, how special. Because from the trailer, it looks beautiful. I mean, it's it looks amazing. And you, like, you should go I will and go watch, watch it. The but. Uh, this, the Put some uh, gum in your ears. Oh, really? The na- yeah. the, just everything about like characters, narrative. The characters the, 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 the and the dialogue. plot and the mm, the whole concept of the world or understanding of the world. Like Valerian comics are really strongly uh, planted in this uh, human. <laughs> all round. Uh, acceptance of of humans regardless and uh, humans and other conscious entities regardless uh-huh. of how they look or, uh-huh. or gender or whatever and somehow this Valerian movie succeeded in being incredibly sexist the comic books that are like well, uh, 30, quite, 40 quite... years old wow, they, they were Really egalitarian, yeah, you know, yeah, making yeah. a lot of fuss about it. Right. Okay. So he that's yeah. So he made there were a lot of bucks and women in tight outfits wandering around. Uh, yeah, and um, weird obsession with marriage. Uh-huh. I think it has something to do <laughs> with the director being married four times and oh, divorcing right. an four times. Thing so like he, he has a spot sore spot there. Yeah, or something. yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. So he brought his personal issues into the into the story, which were Definitely, unnecessary. Totally unnecessary and. Uh, well, uh, he has a very different understanding of the the character's base uh, psychology than I and, and seemingly anyone all the else can <laughs> get from the Yeah, he got panned, so, didn't he? Uh, yeah, I think my, so my, my husband's fa- explanation is the best that the, the director... Uh, had a bone to pick with someone who was a Valerian fan and he decided <laughs> to offend He's them. one of his ex-wives. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> so he just destroyed them and he did a very great job. Oh, but it looks really good. Yeah, like, so I, I, can... I really wish someone else would not take the the files and uh, redo do the whole right, do the whole story. Yes, yeah, Cara Delevingne was actually, like, uh, I was really suspicious how she could... Uh, do in this kind of movie, but she was not that bad. She was. Right, okay. um, it's not her fault. Right, it's just basically the director <laughs> yeah. screwed up for everyone yeah. else. Yeah, that's a sad. I might go and see it anyway, just because it looks visually amazing. So cool. Well, I think uh, that's a watch it uh, if you get, can get it dubbed in, you know, Chinese. Or, <laughs> <laughs> just give me the or just hope playing in the background on a massive screen with music or something. Are, are you suggesting people download an illegal copy with <laughs> crappy dubbing? Well, <laughs> as an author who cannot uh, exactly <laughs> condone this kind of thing, I cannot say it, but. Uh, I also wouldn't recommend people to spend their money on this. Right, okay, yeah. It always pains me when something that's so really precious to me, like a book, is destroyed by a filmmaker. I mean, it's a horrible, horrible thing to do. And I mean, you know, there's a certain responsibility if you're a filmmaker to adhere to, especially if it's a classic like that. Yeah, like millions of people have been positively influenced by this comic book. Yeah, and don't don't impose your own ego or your own (laughs) issues upon the films. (laughs) There you go. 
So I think we've, uh, I mean, we've had a... a we have, we have a, we have a 52 minutes. show. Oh, right, we've got a radio. Yeah, normally, this is, a new, is it a new world record? Yes. It's a new world record. I think a great well, way to end, Star Trek or Star Wars? Oh, it's a tough one. It's a tough one. <laughs> it's a tough but, one. Uh, Star Trek or I'm Star Wars? I'm a really big fan of this moral dilemma in space, so I'm going to pick Star Trek The Next Generation. Ooh. Oh, <laughs> Thomas. I, I haven't watched any Star Trek and I so what? yeah get the fuck out of the room <laughs> get the fuck out I'm, of the room I'm youngish and I I, I don't know I, I don't I don't watch a lot of sci-fi like on TV because it's uh, usually not that good just stop the canning excuses it just and also answer. also I, I don't really like Star Wars okay well that's you got no, you can't there's no other there's no what? third option is what? it two what? options you've got to choose one I mean I mean, can you actually no, you Star Wars? I'm sorry okay, if, you, if, you, if you if you weren't like eight years old in 1980, <laughs> how could you possibly think well, Star Wars is a good like thing? <laughs> man, you weren't living the dream. Seriously, you were not living the dream. You're living the dream. Uh, well, I mean, can we have a third option? I'm going to pick Expanse. Yeah, I should read the books. I, I actually I like the TV series, but uh, apparently the books are really mind blowing. I'm only the the second season, so okay. Yeah, I don't I'm, know in the, that I'm in the middle is. of that. Yes, I don't well, know. So. so you're just throwing a new option in there that I don't even know about. So that's not a possibility. You got to go Star Wars or Star Trek. It's a super. Oh, fuck cool. that noise. I, I don't okay, care. we're going to put you down for Star Wars. <laughs> yeah, and, no, uh, yeah. For me, it's really challenging because I was the the person you were talking about in the eighties, and I actually remember the first time I went to this. I actually remember going to Star Wars with my dad, the very first one. I remember after about ten minutes turning around and seeing my dad going. <laughs> Just fall asleep. <laughs> you fall asleep after about. How can you fall asleep at the start of the first Star Wars? It's one of the most dramatic opening scenes of any sci-fi film ever. Do you know what I mean? The cinematography of that with the, the tiny ship and an increasingly large, massive ship chasing. Dad falls asleep. So on that. But sense, now you have kids, and now I you can understand him much yeah, better. Yeah, this is true. But uh, yeah, I mean, I've been falling asleep regularly in children's films. But I mean, Star Wars to me, the first three amazing, brilliant stuff. Uh, you know, it's a very sort of clear moral. More the morality between is very, very clear, and it's good when you're eight. Uh, of course, the second three totally fucked it up. I quite like the new ones. But then Star Trek, I love the sort of like, the originals. I love the originals. I think they're just, uh, they're just, I used to watch those as a kid as well. I'm really, it's really, it's a really, really difficult question for me. Um, I, I, if I had to go for it, I'd probably go Star Wars. Much okay. Just, much okay. Just. I want to, I want to augment my, my, my reply uh, here. If you want to watch anything by, by George Lucas, it should probably, American Graffiti or THX eleven thirty eight. That's an actually good sci-fi movie. I've not seen any of those. Yeah, well, I mean, I mean, seriously, I don't know what happened with George. Lu- uh, jo- what's his face? George Lucas, isn't it? George Lucas, the Star Wars yeah. man. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so I don't know what happened. Well, he got loads with, of with money, didn't he? That's what happened to him. Yeah, the, well, the first Star Wars would have been absolutely terrible if he had if he'd have been allowed to do what he wanted to do, but he was restricted by budgetary restraints. I went to yeah, great but it's Star not a good Wars. story anyway. I mean, it's not, not good acting. It's not good anything. Yeah, but it was new, wasn't it? That was the thing. Yeah, I mean, that yeah, was, okay, it was, yeah. I mean, and to an extent, it was like. You know, there's many reasons why I was succeeding, I think. I don't think we could, I think that's another podcast. <laughs> but, <laughs> if you're going to have a science fiction podcast, I'm, should, I'm well, volunteering should, for it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we yeah. should do that. We should be a bit more upfront about, I haven't got a problem to do with science fiction. Yeah, we need to do some preparation, Joe. How about that? But, uh, preparation. your next uh, 102, well, like, Interesting you should say that because my author, is my author, my publisher has has now suggested that I go down the road of a, another 101 very few problems. And I could just have a made-up sci-fi problem when you can't, 
can't read enough Finnish sci-fi because it's too dark or something. Yeah. <laughs> or you're too cold. There's a, there's a thing called jumping the shark. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, but on that happy note, I think, uh, yeah, congratulations. for It's a new world record in the terms of the time. We normally spend less time. Yes, congratulations a- for something related to our show. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, but, but I mean, yes, I'm, I'm really looking forward to, to like some reading on ethical clothes. So, yeah, so. reading ethical clothes, reading the sci-fi stuff. Is there anything you want to you know, talk say as a way? Do you anything you want people to go to or read or do? We're going to have all the show notes so people can link to your book. But your sci-fi, or is there anything you know? Um, any stuff you want people to buy of yours? Uh, <laughs> Some tweeters or something. Uh, I guess I should now uh, like uh, boost all my science fiction writing friends. Go crazy! <laughs> oh, Go crazy! <laughs> but uh, check out all these uh, small Finnish publishers like uh, Quarrels. Kuoriaiskirjat and uh, Osuuskumma and uh, wait, I'm having a mental oh, no, block. Yeah. Can, I, can I uh, send them in later Absolutely. or something like that? We'll all these fabulous Finnish publishers at the end um, and uh, we'll have all the you know, If all I the knew shows. I had this chance, I would have made notes. Because oh, yeah. I, yeah, no, that was yeah. my fault, sorry. But like, uh, yeah, preparation, as Thomas highlighted, is not something we, we bother with. <laughs> <laughs> largely but also as we're pitching things it might be worth a good point to, good time to say that we have a YouTube channel now mm-hmm. very finished but mm-hmm. not related to sci-fi in any way this is merely saying we now have a very finished problem YouTube channel which everyone should subscribe to so uh, really nice powerpoints in there and then wicked powerpoints your voice over from me yes <laughs> so it doesn't get much better than that yeah, exactly. uh, and on that happy note I'd like to thank you it's been a, a fascinating yeah. conversation and um yeah, we'll be, uh, well, hopefully, we're now, as you, we're trying to get a bit more fr- frequent, aren't we? Weekly. We're trying to do weekly. Uh, no, no well, that's not. Uh, ideally, managing least, expectations, Joe. <laughs> it's a basis for all human hour. relationships. <laughs> well, at least two bi-weekly, yeah, at least yes. bi-weekly. So this will be our AS, uh, ASAP. Well, thank you for coming. And uh, and I hope everyone's enjoyed it. Thank you, Thomas, yes, for your so, contribution yeah. as well. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> it, and uh, yeah, we'll see you next time. Thank you and goodbye. Thank you. This was the sixth episode of the Very Finnish Problems podcast. Please send any feedback to verifinishproblems at inktank.fi. This program is published by Inktank Media and produced by me, Thomas Nyberg. Inktank Media is a digital marketing and communications agency which specializes in copywriting, storytelling and social media. Find out more on our website inktankmedia.fi. Thanks again for listening.